Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. In this six-part series, we speak with our Black and Brown community on what has transpired in the art world since the emancipation of slavery on June 19, 1865. We have open conversations on their experiences as people of color and their contributions to art, community, and education. The series highlights their continued efforts to move the needle forward. This is When Freedom Rings. As the host and brand manager of the Arts Access Florida podcast, Malika Hollis is taking her turn in the hot seat by letting us interview her for episode three. Tampa born and raised, Malika shared with us her story of Christian school, dancing, and doing work for WUSF. Alongside her is Adriana Rodriguez, the digital marketing manager for WUSF Public Media. Bringing her out from behind the scenes and in front of the mic, we spoke to Adriana about her experience as a high school athlete turned freelance journalist. Together, myself, Shireen Hamade, and my colleague and co-host, Jasmine Rich, discuss with them the happiness and hardships of their experience as millennials of color. My name is Malika Hollist. Um, I grew up here in Tampa, Florida. I work here at USF as the brand manager for Arts Access Florida. And yeah, that's just a little about me. Um, my name is Adriana Rodriguez. I actually grew up in Georgia. Um, I've been in Florida for about four years now. I'm the digital marketing manager here at WUSF. I guess just to get get us started, can you guys tell us a little bit individually about your home lives? Because obviously we have a few questions for you, but I want to hear you talk about it a little bit before we get into it. Of course. Malika, you can go. Okay. So as I said, I grew up here in Tampa. I grew up in Carrollwood, Northdale area, if you're from the area, which is in North Tampa. Um, I grew up with my parents, both my mom and dad and my older sister at first, um, and I had a really um, wonderful childhood. It was very um, different and co- complicated, but not in a bad way, just in a different way. I had my grandparents living with me at some point. Also, my cousin started living with me when I was around 10 or 11. So we had um, a very busy house um, with a lot going on. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of a little bit of how my childhood was, but I, you know, I had a really great childhood and great memories and danced and played outside and had really great supportive parents and a really loving family. Um, My childhood, my father was in the military, so we moved around quite a bit. Um, I called Georgia home because I think I moved almost like every two or three years and most of it was in Georgia, but uh, we went up north for a little bit and then came back in Georgia, went to North Carolina and came back to Georgia. So Georgia has been like a home base for me. Um, yeah, it's been me and my mom and my sisters. I have two sisters and like, um, I think my dad was pretty much deployed most of my life. So it just be me and, my, me and my mom and my sisters and just growing up in Savannah, I've always like super active in sports. I was always outside, super creative, loved music. Um, it followed me now into my life. So, so yeah, I had a very musical childhood, like a lot of loud music. When my dad was home, it was like parties, it was hanging out. Like that's definitely what I remember the most from my childhood, just listening to a lot of different music, loud, super loud. Mm-hmm. Malika, uh, yes. you mentioned that you had, uh, at one point you were living with your grandparents and your parents and extra family members. What was it like growing up in a multi-generational household? Um, It was... Well, it was my normal after a while. You know, it, at first it was kind of just the nuclear family, mom, dad, me, sister, um, which was nice. Um, but when my grandparents came to live with us, well, actually it was my two grandmas, uh, my mom's my mom's mom and my dad's mom. 
uh, it was it was a big change. You know, we even changed the house. We changed the garage into bedrooms and, you know, a bathroom for them. And it, it basically was because they were moving here from Sierra Leone, which is West Africa, in West Africa. Um, we wanted to take better care of them. They needed somewhere to be. So it, it was a lot of responsibility. You know, like when I would come home from school, I would, you know, make sure my grandparents' lunch was ready and, you know, take care of them, you know, watch them when they were walking to and from the bathroom and things like that because they weren't as able. Um, but it was fun. It was just a little bit more chaotic. And then when my cousin um, came over as well, maybe probably about a year after my grandparents came, um, for me it was kind of just fun. It was like I got an extra person to play with and an extra sister. Um, I lost my bedroom because – we started to share, but I liked it. We had bunk beds. Um, it was fun. Um, I think it was more difficult, obviously, for my parents. And at that age, I couldn't understand that. Um, you know, probably financially, it was a lot more difficult. And taking care of three teenagers and two aging parents um, must have been very difficult. Um, but it taught me a lot of responsibility and just made me I think I just recognized a lot younger than other kids how important it is to um, care for other people and how much, you know, how lucky I was. I was still able to do everything that I wanted to do, but I also knew I had responsibilities when I went home. And um, I think that made me a more responsible adult. Adriana, I did want to ask about your situation. Um, I know with your father being gone for extended periods, like, what was that like on you and your family? Like, mm-hmm. did it bring you closer and things like that? And then I also wanted to ask you a little bit about if you had any um, connections to, like, extended family. Like, did that bring you closer to extended family and things like that? Um, I think my family life is complicated. I'll say it like that. Um, my father was gone a lot, so it was really, like, me, my mom, my sister. So, yeah, we, we were close in the unit like that. For me especially, it taught me that, like, you're not going to have everybody, even if you have family and even if it's blood. Sometimes family doesn't come in. And, and um, they say blood is thicker than water. But I know that, like, I have a lot of friends that I've made growing up. Like some of the friends that I've made in certain areas, like when I'm like, like my longest best friend I've had. I've known her since I was like 11 or 12. And we were like stationed in North Carolina together. When our fathers were out there. And then she happened to like get stationed. They happened to get stationed in Alaska. We came back to Georgia. And then a couple years later, come come to find out, they got stationed to um, a base that was like 30 minutes from where I was at. So like we still, I still have really great friends from like growing up in those areas. I'm like, I hold on to them like family. Um, I'm part of the LGBT community. And the biggest thing about us is like chosen family. And like my chosen family, like that's my family. Like, of course, my mom, my dad and my sisters, but like my friends, they really like hold me up, especially through everything in life, um, moving out here and all that too. So I would, I would say like, it brought me closer to yes, my mom, my sisters and my dad, but it also made me um, appreciate really great friendships growing up too. Okay. Um, for Malika, um, I know you had described your family as coming from, was it, it was Freetown and Sierra Leone previously. Um, I wanted to ask you about, and you had also previously described your family as being like more African than African-American in terms of culture. Mm -hmm. Um, We wanted to know more about like your interactions with like the larger black community around you, given um, Given the the circumstances, (laughs) given the environment you grew up in. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yes, my parents are were born in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Well, my dad was. My mom wasn't born there, but she grew up there. 
Um, and so when they came here, they came here in like the late 80s. And then, you know, the rest of our family came. And then eventually my sister was born and all of my cousins and we all were born here. So when I describe us as more and I'll, I'll even describe myself as more like African than like African. I really shouldn't say African-American. I really should say more like black American or even African-American as well. I say that because um, I just never really I didn't really know a lot of like the American black culture growing up just because my parents didn't necessarily know it. Like not that they didn't know anything, but that wasn't how they grew up. So they had their own culture, their own African culture, their own Sierra Leonean culture. Uh, So when they came here, I learned more about that. And then I was learning about American culture at the same time. But I also grew up in more predominantly white areas. So I was learning about white American culture. So I really, really didn't know anything (laughs) much about the black community. Like I have a story and I hate telling it because it's so embarrassing. But once in, I think it was like freshman year of high school or eighth grade, one of those, um, one of my classmates was wearing a Tupac shirt like a kind of character caricature version of Tupac. And I recognized the face. But in that moment, like, I couldn't remember that it was Tupac. And so I asked him. I was like, oh, who's on your shirt? And the look he gave me. <laughs> and he was, like, another black student in the class. But everyone in the class was looking at me like, are you are you serious? And I, like, I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my no. God, this is one of those people I'm supposed to know. <laughs> and I was like, they're going to take my black heart. And I, he's like, it's Tupac. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Your, your shirt was rumpled. Like, I just started, like, blubbering. And it was so embarrassing. But stuff like that would happen to me a lot because I just didn't know, I didn't know, like, the staples of black community and, like, culture. And still to this day, like, I'm still, like, I'm trying to catch up and I'm like, everyone just give me a chance because I just didn't have that opportunity to learn it. Like it wasn't there for me to 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 hear about, to be like I was listening to Britney Spears and Boys to Men and Whitney Houston in my house and like gospel music. That was it, really. And then I also went to a Christian school. And so I definitely I just wasn't exposed. And then as I got older, it's just the the schools I was going to and where I was, there just wasn't a lot of other black kids for me to be even friends with. You know, I would be the only black person in class or maybe there'd only be like three of us. So I just I never really got plugged into like the black culture really until I was like in my 20s, like almost out of college when I actually started working and met other people or just randomly would join like a club or I joined an acting class. And so there was other there was people of from everywhere in there. Those that's the first time I made like real friends who were, you know, in the black community who like I could actually talk to about things. So for me it was just honestly it was just lack of exposure and trying to to know what I'm supposed to quote unquote know, even though really you don't have to know anything. I realize that now. But at the time it felt like, you know, I wasn't involved. So yeah, I just that was my exposure, which was not much. On that note, like, was there a larger, like, West African community you could connect to? Because I know growing up for me, like, I had a similar experience going to, like, a bunch of Catholic schools with, like, 
upper class like white kids when mm-hmm. I like lived in the hood mm-hmm. and like yeah. I was there on a scholarship and stuff like that. Yeah. But my family took me to like events at like the what was it the Centro Asturiano mm-hmm. where we could celebrate things like Three Kings Day and I could have connections mm-hmm. to other like Hispanic kids that I didn't right. have elsewhere. So like did you have anything like that? Um a little bit but not not as much as I think would have been beneficial to me. I mean, the only exposure I had to really West African culture was my own family. And, you know, there would be like, you know, the parties that we would have once in a while. But a lot of people um, who lived in Freetown or in that West African area, a lot of them live in like Maryland or Georgia. There's big groups Mm -hmm. up there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I can even tell when I go visit like cousins or family friends who live up there, like they're really plugged in. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, we just didn't have that opportunity down here. So they, my parents definitely exposed me as much as they could, but um, there was only so much of it here. So my question to that, Malika, is mm-hmm. how, did, how did that um, lack of exposure to, you know, at least I'll say like the staples mm-hmm. of black culture, how did that um, help you develop your identity? My relation to that would be, I call it hood adjacent because (laughs) my grandfather fought in Vietnam War. He, you know, got the GI Bill, was able to buy a home for my mother to live in. And then from there, my mom's mom would say, I hate this phrase, but she would say, don't be like them. Mm -hmm. And every connotation that that, you know, means is exactly like I couldn't say scrimp. (laughs) Like it's strawberry, not scrawberry. Um, And I was quote unquote blessed to be exposed to different forms of kids through like the socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. So I also, you know, middle school, I got called a poser by a white girl, but like I hung out with like the emo kids. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I also had black friends who were in the theater classes and whatnot. And like the school that I went to was in my neighborhood. So I think I got in on like legacy program kind of thing, but I don't, I identify as black, but I don't hold, you know, I don't feel like I have to prove my blackness. Mm. So I'm wondering, how did you not necessarily prove your blackness, but how did you get comfortable being in, you know, your particular type of ethnic background, but still the skin that you're in? Um, That's a really good one. I really got a question. Let me think about it. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think I'm still getting comfortable with it. I think as I got older, I just... Um, started to accept that this this is who I am and this is my upbringing. This is my reality. You know, I I think when I was, you know, maybe in middle school. Well, actually, if I go back when I was in elementary school, I went to a, a small Christian school. I never like felt race when I was there. I never, mm. which I know is like unique for most people, because I think race starts to come into play when people are really young, like maybe even four or five. They start to realize they're different. But for me, most of my memories of that time up until like 11, I don't remember anybody treating me differently because of the color of my skin. So it wasn't until I actually switched to public school and was in a larger group of people that I felt this like, oh, you're you're judging me based on my skin tone. Like, and it had to do with like the way I was talking wasn't the way they wanted, or even the way I was tying my shoes. I remember like, wasn't the cool way to do it. And I was confused. I I remember being like, but why wouldn't I just tie them? Why would I tuck them in that way when I could just tie them? It was little things that like that, that started to happen. And so then I found myself trying to like assimilate, like, you know, I, 
I remember, but I didn't know who to assimilate to. I was like, should I try to be more like the white kids or try to be more like the black kids? I remember when my hair would be braided, you know, the the other black girls would make fun of the way I braided my, the way I got my hair braided. I guess it wasn't done like as nicely as they thought it should have been. I still don't know what was happening there. I remember once I um, got, I wanted my hair highlighted because everybody was getting their hair highlighted. <laughs> so my mom, <laughs> we bought that cheap highlight that you buy in Walmart that you literally just like spray <laughs> on top of your hair. Yes. And I remember I had like three like like honey caramel like streaks <laughs> in my hair and I went to school the next day I was like oh my god I'm so cool and everybody just made fun of it and I was like okay oh, no. that <laughs> it's, like it's funny now but at the time I was like what do they want from me <laughs> um and then Dang. I just I just was constantly trying to fit in and then probably around like 16 or 17 I think I just got a little tired and I was like you know what I'm just gonna do my thing if people don't like the way I talk I don't know I don't know what they want me to do about it right if I'm too smart for you because I'm in the <laughs> honors classes, I don't know what you want me to do about it. I just kind of slowly accept it. And then I noticed once I stopped, like, trying to be like other people, people seemed to like me more or were mm. I made more friends. And I just, like, carried that on in college. Like, I, didn't, I tried not to judge the friends I made because I always <laughs> had this feeling like, oh, I need to make more black friends because I need to, like – not even at that time, it wasn't even for my own good. I just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. And but I wasn't making really I wasn't making close friendships because I wasn't going for them for the right reasons. And then I just I just decided that who I was was fine and the kind of people I made friends with was fine and whoever came in and out um, would be okay. And so that slowly made me just kind of like accept my identity. And as I as I've, especially since I stopped, I got out of school and was like working and met other people. I think that that helped me a lot. Like my first job, there was a lot of other black people who worked there who were very different from me, but also some similar. And I think I felt really accepted by them and they really helped me. Shout out to Amber and Willie. If you're, if you're listening to this, um, they really helped me um, like accept myself because I could see them being their version of black and it wasn't like me but they were comfortable and so it made me feel comfortable and they didn't make me feel like I needed to be something else and so once that started happening I just kind of I feel like I started to find my identity I'm still trying to figure it out now because you know that's I think that's just life you're always kind of figuring yourself out yeah and you got a lot to unpack as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow. I'm so curious to hear this from Adriana's perspective, because I know um, Jasmine had said something about proving blackness, which really resonated to me because like growing up as a mixed kid, I'm half Lebanese and half Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. which like everyone always asks about because they're like, that's a weird mix. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I mean, OK, yeah. <laughs> like whatever. Or like the odd, like, oh, that's a good mix. It's like, am I a dog? Like, what are you guys <laughs> talking about? Mix. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's a it's a weird way that we like. Um, romanticize race mm-hmm. and like mix and like hair and skin and everything. So when you tell somebody what you are, especially like like you said, like you're Lebanese and you said Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would growing up like I'm so mixed. And at, when I was younger, at a point, I would just say Hispanic and Asian because mm-hmm. that's just it. But like if I get deeper into it, my dad is Panamanian, Puerto Rican, Colombian, and my mom is Thai, French, Canadian, and Irish. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's a huge mix of everything and like. You know, I'll just say Panamanian tie, and I was like, "Oh wow! Like, how how does that happen? Like, how did how did they meet?" And I would <laughs> so like, cra- I would crack a joke. I'm like, "Oh, their boats crashed on the way to America," <laughs> and some people really believed it, and like, so, some people had like a very like, "Oh my god!" I need to hear this story. I'm like, "Yo, it's a joke." 
they met in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. <laughs> like, and that's like, how people meet. And that's, yes, how people meet. And they met, you know. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, like, it's for me, um, I grew up, like I said, grew up mostly in Georgia or grew up on a military base. Um, I was super sheltered growing up in military base. Um, I like to tell people, I'm just like, you know, if, if if you learn gay, there's no way possible for me because on military base, it was don't ask, don't tell. You, there was mm-hmm. no, but there was no gay flag, no nothing. Um, I remember when my dad would bring some people around and they were a little bit different. And I was like, like some of the guys, one of the, I remember this one guy, he would come over, he was in my, like my dad's unit, but he was always talking to my mom in the front and the girls and his manner was a little different. I'm like, okay, he's a little different. Or like some women that would come over, her manner was, was, was a little different than like the women that I knew. I knew I was different. I just didn't know that's how I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up on bases is very sheltered. Like you said, like about the whole race situation, it's just like you never really, it was never really in your face. Now, growing up for me, it was a little different. Um, me, I got to show you guys a photo. Me and my middle sister, we look, we don't look alike at all. Like she's very pale, very fair skin. She was born with like blonde hair and blue eyes. Very, very thin. Like people didn't think that was my dad's kid. <laughs> like that kind of situation because he's holding her and he's like darker and he's just like this old super white baby. Um, I remember walking, me and my sister would walk to the elementary school on the base and like we walked in and one of the teachers was like, oh, who's that? And I'm like, oh, that's my sister. And she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> like <laughs> flat out, no, it's not. And like, I, you know, it didn't really hit me. I think it hit my sister more growing up because me and my other sister were darker than her. And she had very fair skin. So my mom would say, like, she would go up to my baby sister when she was born, and, like, put her hair next to hers and be like, how come hers is different? Mm-hmm. Like, why is she different? So it was more race-wise within the family, um, for sure. But, like, growing up outside, like, on base, and then, like, once we left off base, and then, you know, we're living off, like, you're like, in, like, community, like, in civilian life, I guess you would say. Um, I was always in black culture, no matter, like, what everything we did. Like, Savannah. Savannah's black. No, no mm-hmm. doubt about that. No doubt about that. Um, and growing up, my mother, it was like I said, a race thing within the family, whatever. Me and my sisters are actually the lightest ones in our family. And so my mother would always like remind us, she's like, you guys are black. Your dad's family is black because they're Afro-Latinos on, on the whole side. And so she would, you know, we would, yeah, we lived on base. And people think like when you're in the military, you have a better life. I mean, you, you have a little bit more access to things, but you can still be really broke and be in the military. And so my mom would drive us around like, you know, in the not so great areas of Savannah. And she was like, anybody's a paycheck away from this. Like, you're no better than anybody. And I think like growing up, I didn't Mm -hmm. understand it. But I think she said that just because our skin was lighter doesn't mean we're better than anybody. And like that, that kept with us. All of our friends, they didn't live in great neighborhoods. My mom never made it an issue about dropping us off and hanging out with them because that's where it was at. So I always grew up in black culture now when I moved here to Florida it was a culture shock for me because mm-hmm. I look like everybody out here and everybody expects me to have like some thick Spanish accent but when I start talking I'm sounding like really country in the middle of nowhere like I'll like specifically make it thicker to be like hey you're not I'm not one of these Florida folks y'all talking to like this is Georgia all the way through but <laughs> it's interesting because my family that's here in Florida they obviously speak Spanish and everything else and one time me and my cousin went to the mall and like I understand it to an extent I just don't speak it and the guy said in Spanish, oh, what size shoes you need? I was like, oh, size seven. And I said it back in English. And he gave me, like, this dirty look. And, like, he just, like, kind of walked away. And my cousin got mad. And she came up and she was like, he doesn't need to be talking like that, looking at you like that. Like, just because you look Spanish doesn't mean you have to speak it, this, that, mm-hmm. and the third. So I think moving here, it was more so of uh, even, like, now, like, people were like, oh, you don't know this Spanish song or you don't know this Spanish. Like, I know, like, black artists and black movies. This, that, and they're like, how high? I didn't know that movie was about weed until after college i was so <laughs> sheltered i was so sheltered because you know it came on on bet or mtv and it was all censored and that was like my favorite movie and then when i saw it unsheltered and realized what it was about and i was like oh i was like 
it's about weed. Wow. Like so sheltered, but really know about like, you know, pivotal moments in black culture and black history. So when I moved here, it's like, oh man, it's a mix, especially Orlando. It's a smorgasbord of everything. And so like in Georgia, you're either black, white. And if you're Hispanic, you're most likely Mexican because it's a really big Mexican population in Georgia, mm-hmm. um, especially in Savannah, uh, the migrant, the farming and everything else here. You know, you can be black, but you can be Puerto Rican, Colombian, Cuban, whatever. And so, like, I would have to tell my Spanish family down here, I was like, hey, like, their racism is real and alive. I'm like, yeah, we may not see it as much in our face here in Central Florida. I said, but the moment you cross that line in Georgia, mm-hmm. there's Confederate flags left and right. You know, there's people looking at you sideways trying to figure out why are you going down in this area. And so my cousin didn't make that click because she was like, she's darker skinned that, you know, she had sister moving to Atlanta. It's like, no, they're fine. You know, they're black. I was like, yeah, but they grew up in a different kind of culture. And I was like... And that's what it's so crazy, like just hearing like her background and my background. We literally live like the opposite lives, practically. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm always changing school systems and everything else. And all the school districts I've been in that wasn't on base, they were all like failing. Like the state was going to come in and take over. Like going to like a high school, you know, like there's you've always heard of like, you know, unfortunately, we hear school shootings like it is no problem. But growing up, it was a school shooting. That means like somebody outside just did a drive by, you know, or they were this gang activity situation, you know, so. It's very interesting, you know, hearing all the unfortunate things happening in middle America, because where it's happening is in white middle America. And then in these communities that I've been growing up, it's been happening forever, you know. And so it, it's it's hard to, like, live that line of, like, this is my identity, but this is not, because I do not identify with any of the things that I'm mixed with, because I will never be enough for each one of those things. Yeah. So I know how to live my life as a mixed woman. I don't know how to live my life as a white woman, a black woman, a Spanish woman, an Asian woman, because it's always like, oh, you're this, but you're not this. Oh, you're that, but you're this. Oh, you listen to all this music, but you don't know what this is over here. And it's just like, yo, I'm me. And if y'all like that, that's cool. And if y'all don't, then keep it pushing. Because I, I did learn at a certain point, like, I stopped caring. Like, mm-hmm. people are really going to hang with you if you're genuine and you have that genuine, like, vibe about you. But I feel like if you force something you feel like that's not, then people pick up on that. And it becomes a problem. So, the, yeah, like that, yeah. that's how I feel about the whole like identity and everything with that. Yeah. We have the conversation of race of black and white. We never have the conversation mm-hmm. of race when you merge those two and then what you get. And then it's more than just black and white. You have so many different ethnicities and races. And yeah. that once you once you paint everything black and white, it becomes hard for people in between to figure out who and what they are. I, Adriana, I actually commend you for not self-identifying as a mutt. Um, only reason why I say this is because I try to kind of go into, you know, because black is not just one thing. Mm-hmm. It's very much broken down. Yeah. So my dad's side of the family, like, is all Haitian. Mm-hmm. I do not speak a Lika Creole. I can't even understand a Lika Creole. <laughs> like, I I used to just kind of identify with Haitian Flag Day because it was such a big thing at mm-hmm. my high school. Like, I think it's March 17th. I hope I have the right. <laughs> Probably the 14th. Anyway. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's we'll just, fine. We'll just audiogram Mark. The right, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. The we'll right day. Yeah. <laughs> Creation flag day here. Um, so, yeah, I would just, you know, kind of identify it because there were so many Haitian students that literally the campus looked like you were in Haiti for a day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, everything went back to normal. Um, so I would say, you know, that side of the family is from Haiti. My mom's mom is from St. Martin, Virgin Islands. And then my mom's dad is actually slave descent black. And instead of trying to be like, you know, oh, these are the cultures that I can't identify with. I'm, you know, mixed breed black. I'm a mutt, just black on black on black and leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So I commend you. I commend your parents, first of all, 
for giving you that experience to be okay with all of these identities. Mm -hmm. But then I also commend you and you as well, Malika, for being fine with who you are because it takes a lot to Mm -hmm. to do that. And I think that, Malika, like you said, at least the exposure theory, I think that it takes a lot of understanding your place in the world, your family's Mm -hmm. place in the world, and then, you know, how you fit into society. I think it takes a lot of self-reflection and then self-acceptance in order to get Mm -hmm. to where you are today. Mm -hmm. To the roles that are played, um, I wanted to ask really quickly about how you feel about being two types of minorities, both a woman and a person of color. Mm. Well, I mean, now, well, I've never really minded it if I'm not, I know I know it's there and I know that the challenge of it is there um but there are two minorities that I like to be you know so I've never wanted to be something else mm-hmm. um I definitely think that it um has made me a more cautious person you know I think I make I never, I was never that friend doing crazy stuff when we're out at night because I'm like, yeah, you can, you can go over there and like vandalize that car. There's certain things want. we can't do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna yeah. do. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna, I'm not gonna just start yelling at someone in the store because they're being rude to me, even if maybe they deserve it. Because <laughs> like, it, I'm gonna look like the angry black woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not gonna. I used to have a friend. I love her, but when she was drunk, she used to. You know, when people used to have those beetle cars and they would put the eyelashes on them. Mm. She just loved to like rip them off oh. of cars. She thought it was funny. And I would just look at her and be like, okay, well, there's cameras in here or someone might see us. I did not participate. Because I was like, I know that this is not the same for me. Like the same repercussions are not going to yeah, be for you. Yeah, definitely not the me. same mm-hmm. repercussions. Yeah. I think, you know, I think there's something to say. And um, I'm bringing this up because I think it's true. You know, there's something to be said about pretty privilege mm. I'm not trying to act like I'm like the hottest girl on the planet but I know that there's privilege in the way that I look because I'm tall and I'm I look mm-hmm. friendly and I'm like thin so that has helped me I think in ways as well that I won't ignore but I know that I grew up with parents who told me you're a woman and you're a black woman that means everything you do you need to do it to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. your friends, your your comrades, they are 10 steps ahead of you and they're only 12 years old. Mm-hmm. They haven't even done anything yet, but they have things in line that I just didn't have. You know, they have generational wealth that I don't have. They have grandparents who are already planning to give them their house. Mm-hmm. They have grandparents who can pick them up from from school. Mm-hmm. I never had that. I never had grandparents who were able to take care of me. I was always taking care of my my grandparents. So I just grew up in a in a knowing that I was going to have to work harder for everything that I wanted. And so being a minority and being a woman was just like part of the deal for me. It's just the way it always was. So it's never been something that I didn't like. I just was like, well, this is my lot. And so I'm just going to figure it out. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Adriana, before you respond, can I also add on for you? Like the same question, but can I compound on that? Like, how does the your like LGBT identity also add mm. to that? Because that's uh, not mm. being white and being queer is like like, like an extra. Yeah, no, yeah, it's a, it's, a it's whole other. What is it called in, intersectional feminism or something yeah. like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. or intersectional oppressions in in a way. Um, 
I think one growing up as a, a like a, a woman and a woman of color, my parents always like mama. We have there's three girls, three of us, and so my father was always like, I don't want you guys ever to depend on a man, X, Y, and Z. So it's like we we're very independent. We know how to we're very hands on. We know how to do things. We know how to fix stuff. Um, I, like I said, my dad was always deployed. I'm the oldest. So whenever we got something new, got something done, he showed me how to put it together, how to fix it, and then he was gone. My mom didn't know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. I was putting the computer together. I was helping with the TV, the internet, you know, all of that. I was I was doing all that at a very young age, and I was also helping watching my sisters because, you know, yeah, my mom would stay at home, but, like, you know, it's things she has to go do really quick, and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to take all of us and whatever. So, yeah, oh, I had to be an adult very, like, very quickly. Um, and also adding being like, queer on top of that. I know being in spaces like now, I love it here now because there's there's people who are like queer in the spaces that I am now. But especially in Georgia, like I knew I was the only out person in like the whole like newsroom. There was no other nobody mm-hmm. else that was out. And then when I came here to Florida, it's way it's way more. Yeah, we have like the laws against us going on right now. DeSantis is doing what he's trying to do, blah, blah, blah. blah. But there's a bigger community yeah here. so like at my f- like first station here in florida there was a lot more like gay guys out which was cool it was fun but they were all white gay guys and so we don't we definitely don't have the same kind of like experience so then we're doing when diversity and inclusivity blah blah blah, blah all that uh, to me it's bs it's not that stuff's not for us in this room that's for like the white folks to know how to talk to people mm-hmm. and so when they started having those they're like oh they're having this person who was a you know a white gay man speaking on that and i'm like what behalf is he speaking on because mm. at the end of the day all you have to do is if your voice sounds a little bit like this all you have to do is deepen it up and then you're good to go that's it you know what mm-hmm. i mean so it's 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 painted so adding that extra whatever i feel like growing up when we watch tv tv was never for any of us in this room when we were watching it no. so like we're watching it and then like you start to see other people or other colors of skin playing something like that's not possible who can do that? you know because you've never seen it but now I, I i understand the importance more of representation and so that's why i like try to do different topics or like do different yeah. things do ideas because i'm like nobody else is really doing this why can't we do it so i feel like now me being as like comfortable in my skin as i am and everything else like and like you know we all have our own things in our head we sometimes we're in our head a lot and like i'll hear people talk about me i'm like oh this is this is what you guys think of me like i'm just shooting it i'm i'm making up as i go and for a lot of people they see that as like confidence as strength or whatever like i'm thinking oh i gotta go 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 and then like a couple of my friends one of my friends she had to sit me down and she was like hey like you moved to tampa six months ago she was like you're getting all these gigs you're doing x y and z you're doing you're like you're, this is NPR. You're doing all this. And and, and, and you, when you sit back and you, you breathe, you're like, oh, wow, like I'm in these rooms. And you realize like even me and Malika being here, like when I first got mm-hmm. here and like I saw her, I'm like, OK, cool. She's here. All right. Cool. It's us. But mm-hmm. like, you know, like yeah. it, 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 I felt yeah. the same when she came in. I was like, all right. It's, it's cool. It's us. And like right. I know now that we're here, the roles that we're playing, we're definitely um, making a difference at this station because of the conversations we're having mm-hmm. and the things that we're bringing up and the stuff that we're pointing out and we know that it's like you know it's it, it's turning heads it's 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 opening conversation it's opening the door which is all we can do and at the end of the day too the role that i don't want us to play is the answer for you know yeah. what is the black community think of this malaika right. what does the spanish community think of this adriana or because i don't know <laughs> you know like we don't i don't know we that. don't speak for the community yeah. but we can speak for ourselves within the community and so that's i think that's that's the that's the thing that's what i try to do i just try to make hey everybody can be represented represented everybody can be here everybody's voices can be heard um let's just not wash it out in in the process this episode was so good we had to break it up stay tuned for part two of women of color out later this august 
Thank you for listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. You can listen to all episodes wherever you stream podcasts or watch all episodes on our YouTube channel. Just search Arts Access Florida. We can't forget to thank our sponsors, Community Foundation Tampa Bay and Gobioff Foundation. This series was created by Malika Hollis and not possible without the help of Adriana Rodriguez and more. This is a product of WUSF Public Media. Copyright 2022, WUSF Public Media.